Hey, this is CollarWorks Radio, and I'm your host, Justin Baker. This week, we record it in the middle of the Opalka Gallery, surrounded by Joanne Carson's beautiful and stimulating 25-year retrospective, Rise Up and Shine. My guest, if you haven't figured out, is Joanne Carson. Joanne is a painter, sculptor, professor, and all-around dynamic life force. As I give away in the beginning, Joanne was my professor in grad school. So to be honest, I was a little nervous to sit down and interview her. But sitting there, surrounded by her work, listening to her speak, I felt lucky. As if I was extending my graduate school education just for one more hour. Particularly in the end, Joanne, as she had done many times before, sitting in my grad school studio, challenged me to think differently. So, this next tune is by request. So listen up. Well, I won't back down No, I won't back down You can stand me up at the gates of hell But I won't back down Gonna stand my ground Won't be turned around And I'll keep this world from dragging me down Gonna stand my ground. Um, well, uh, first off, thank you for coming here and speaking with me. I'm gonna be honest; I was a little nervous <laughs> because you're oh. former professor, and I yes. was like slightly. And I'm very, very intimidating in general. <laughs> so of course, you would be a little worried about that. Well, you know, honestly, um, when I started at the program, when we're talking about SUNY Albany. Um, it was intimidating to have you guys come in my studio. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> I, I think about it now. That was where and I was coming from. It's easy when you're a professor to think that the student should or shouldn't be a certain way. But really, as an artist, to have people come into your own studio and uh-huh. that, it's very nervous making, in fact. So yeah. I can appreciate, I can put myself in <laughs> yeah. that position yeah. still. Um, yeah. Well. And I just wanted to say thank you for having oh, me yeah, on the course. show. Yeah. Because it's been very thrilling to be showing in this more regional context, which mm-hmm. in 35 years of being at the university teaching, I've only shown at the museum there. So this is right. like I feel yeah. kind of an eye-opening experience for me, mm-hmm. and it's nice to be included oh. in something being produced through Collar Works. Yeah. Oh, no, that's great. Thank you. Um, also, yeah, just to thank you to uh, Alpaca Gallery for yes. giving us this after hours time. Um, so we're sitting in the gallery um, looking at your work, and for anybody who hasn't come or plans to come or what to expect, it's full of vibrant uh, paintings and sculptures uh, that really emulate uh, organic forms, nature, your garden. Um, so. That's one thing I, I think we could talk about. But the other thing was maybe some thoughts on like having uh, 
you know, it's it's kind of being billed or you know presented as a twenty five year survey yes, right. of your work, and that you know for me as an artist, that's a long time. Right. Um, I'm not there yet, but I'm curious, like what you, how have you changed? I mean, that's a big question, but yes. maybe even like, how does it feel sitting back and seeing it all together? Yes. Well, this is a perfect time to think about that because I prepared my lecture for tomorrow night <laughs> and so I look to see uh, I have a uh, hundred and fourteen images that I'm uh-huh. going to show something like that half of which the work was done before this show uh-huh. so I-, I worked for 16 years before this 27 years and uh-huh. I like to see this as my middle period because I plan on working for another 20 years <laughs> yeah. after this so uh, but there is it kind of divided very naturally from early work mm-hmm. to the first piece in this show, which was, it was kind of took two years. It's written down sometimes as 1993, sometimes 95, because it took two years and it had different iterations. This piece, Tree of Desire. Oh, okay. And it was a piece that um, was the first real figurative, clearly figurative. Uh, work that I did and there's a kind of inherent struggle I would say where the na- the part that's about nature came about in a much more abundant way than anything that happened before so this figure is a kind of Daphne figure mm-hmm. she's locked into this tree she's part of the tree she's a drum majorette she's rebelling against being the tree so it's a very weirdly conflicted dynamic relationship that she has to being cast as being part of nature it's not the story of Daphne where she was grateful to be escaping from Apollo and she prayed to her river god father and she was glad to be a tree this tree no She's, she, yeah. she wants to and she doesn't want uh-huh. to. So that was my in to thinking about nature was through a myth. And okay. that kind of continued in the next piece was 1999, which is Wood Nymph. The Wood Nymph. Yeah. yeah. And it's a trumploid, gigantic nine-foot tree in yeah. which this ballerina collie figure be, who's balancing pies on her five or six arms... Um, again, is making a little bit of a, not a mockery, but embracing the myth, but with, but with irony, mm-hmm. I would say. Now, was, was there any hesitation, or because you talk about um, like getting into uh, this topic or this world of nature, because before you were, it was kind of like you were making very abstract things, right? Am I right about that? or You know, when I look back on it, I wouldn't say that they were abstract, uh-huh. but they were pastiches of other artists' work. Okay. You know, so early on, when I look back at work I was doing when I was in my 20s, I had a whole spiel about postmodernism. This is before people even used that term. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there were ways in which you would use... Um, art from the past is kind of a narrative story. Right. So I was using people whom I loved, like Brock and Picasso, Juan Gray, modernists, right? I would take parts of their painting, Cezanne, repaint parts of their painting, but paint them on three-dimensional um, apparatuses that right. were like, made out of televisions and 
uh, chairs and tables and plastic fruit. It's not unlike how I was just talking about this piece. Mm -hmm. Like most of my work is in rebellion. Like I'll make it, but it's rebelling against something else. There's a kind of uneasiness in the conflict between nature and artifice, just in a broad way. So my early work, what really differentiates this body of work from that is I'm now using my own language. It took me 16 years to figure out Mm. how not to refer. I learned from the people that I was using. I literally copied them. I learned about color from Cezanne and Brock. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to invent something that belonged to myself. That's not that easy to do. Right. So it took a long time, and I feel like I'm sort of solidly in this zone where the sculpture and the painting and the language of the garden are all overlapping. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that took 27 years. (laughs) (laughs) The short, yeah. (laughs) No shortcut. Yeah. But I, okay, that's interesting. Um, I didn't think about it like like that um, in developing your own language in this vocabulary because you look around and it seems so natural. Yes. This was always there. I know it. In some way. Right. Um, uh, So I'm curious in in some way about the idea of the garden. Now, when you make these, do they, they don't necessarily, you're a gardener, right? Well, I just became a gardener after I started making this work. Okay, after. I wasn't drawn to it. Uh-huh. I didn't think that I would like living in the country. Yeah. I didn't want to move to the country. I live in Brooklyn, so we Jim Butler, my husband, my wonderful husband, who is an <laughs> artist, and he teaches at Middlebury College. Um, we were living sort of like graduate students. We lived in this apartment, mm-hmm. and we decided we needed something a little bit more permanent. We thought about moving to Albany, and then we decided, no, we couldn't really manage that. And so we found this house in the country. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have any, I didn't have any plans mm-hmm. to become a gardener. I didn't want to be a gardener. I didn't even want to live in the country <laughs> <Right>. particularly. <laughs> yeah. However, I was taken over by the beauty of being there and also there's something about plants that I do feel like plants mm-hmm. do control people. I mm. felt very controlled. Oh, that's oh yeah. Because I thought, you know, I'm gonna garden. The first thing is we found this house that has this beautiful view out the front. Mm-hmm. In the back there's no view. There's a steep hill and through the kitchen window there's a rectangle of brown weeds. That's what spoke to me. Uh-huh. That window. Okay. So when I started gardening, I only started gardening. I'd plant something and I'd run back in the kitchen and I would see the topiary. There's topiaries. And I was sort of making a three-dimensional painting. And that's all I did for two years. Oh, really? Yeah. So when people would come over, Vermonters are going, like, Mm -hmm. you got 12 acres. How come you're only planting right there? (laughs) (laughs) Because it's through the window. Right, this framing. Yeah. Yeah. But I find that whenever I make something that is new, like gardening, it's Mm -hmm. always translated from painting. So when Mm -hmm. I started making sculpture, I didn't know how to make sculpture, not technically, conceptually. I couldn't understand the bridge. So Uh I literally took a photograph of myself, and I, like I'm making a drawing, I'd stand in one spot, and I'd think, I need to make a flower that looks like an eyebrow. 
and then I would make a flower, and then okay. I would, okay, can you imagine working in this way? Yeah. That's not how you make sculpture. <laughs> yeah. And then I'd finish that, and then I'd take a step to the left, and I'd start all over again. Mm. So to make the sculpture so that it didn't look like a conventional bouquet of flowers, which they don't, no. I had to learn how to make sculpture by translating it from this very improbable um, conceptual proposition. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's funny you bring that up because I mean the one thought I had in and I've seen your sculpture before I think in at the SUNY Albany Museum yeah and it it feels like more sinister like it has oh, like a little yes. like a more of a edge to it where the the paintings have they're like more welcoming uh huh is that is there an intent in that or do you approach them differently or well you know. I'm glad that you see that because I don't intend for anything that I make to be completely welcoming, I guess, you know. I think the thing about sculpture is sculpture has a physical presence. I've been thinking a lot about the idea of exuberance. Like Mm -hmm. exuberance, we think exuberance is joyful. Mm -hmm. But then when you see dogs playing, they're exuberant, but it can turn into a fight in a minute. (laughs) And so exuberance can be aggression, too, Uh that's barely contained. And it can be joyful, but it can be frightening. Mm -hmm. And I think that the physical nature of things impart that perhaps more directly. I think that my paintings are, um, I think that that kind of menace is mm-hmm. in the paintings, but the color is a, is bait for thinking they're happy. But okay. when you really spend some time with them, I feel that the sense of character and the quality of the worlds are a little unsettling. I mm-hmm. hope that they are. Intend them for not to be completely um, passive, I guess, in mm-hmm. that way. Because, I mean, you're also, in, like, reading um, from things you've written, um, y- you're also thinking about nature as, like, has, like, kind of two parts in, like, this modern age, right? Like, it's um, it's artificial and it's natural. Yeah. Is that part of what, like, you're thinking about in the paintings? Yes. In terms of, like, the abstraction of them? Well, you know, I feel that to be an artist is to be a witness of your time. Mm -hmm. I'm not intending it to be a message for something. I feel like I'm just living at this moment, which is extremely dramatic, where we have AI, where Mm -hmm. we have nature that you have to qualify it because it's synthetic nature or it's manufactured. So all of these categories that from when I was a child would have been very, very defined categories and they would be strong brick walls between them, those are crumbling. Mm -hmm. And I feel that I do respond to that. Like Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about, is that a plant? Could be a figure, could be a human, it Mm -hmm. could be... It could be a cartoon. It could come out of modernism. It's everything is hybridized in a way that I feel is true to our time. Yeah, and there's menace in that too, for certain. <laughs> yeah. There's comedy in it. Yeah, yeah, but it's a little frightening as well. Yeah, I mean, I I certainly get that from the the sculptures and where like even like this one here, it feels like it has a like a strut to it, or it's like walking, you know, or even that yeah. little one, it has like. Like, oh, could that be like a weird little dog with flowers on its head? Or, you know, there's like, Yeah, I do know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some super 
weird qualities to them. Yeah. Um, with the sculpture, um, I, you know, I have one kind of basic question. What are they made of? I mean, they seem so... I don't know what it is. It's hard to figure out what it, what it is that they're yeah. made from. They're made in different ways depending on when I made them. Mm -hmm. So the early ones when I knew very little about sculpture, making technique of mm -hmm. sculpture, and I would ask sculptors, but you know, and it's true of me too, like people know how to do things in one way. Right. Like you could weld or you could pour yeah. bronze, or, but I didn't want to do anything. I wanted to make sculpture like a painter makes sculpture. Mm -hmm. And that's called making sculpture like a prop. Mm -hmm. And so oh, I learned how to make sculpture finally from prop makers. I went to visit oh, okay. them. A friend of mine who's a costumer in New York City. You have to understand, this is before the internet, right, really. Yeah, and you, yeah. you couldn't find any, you know, to, to figure out how to use thermoplastic, you had to go and meet somebody who used it, and mm -hmm. they would show it to you. So it was hard to learn things. Mm -hmm. uh, so I learned about a process, and then I would learn another process. Well, now I have a kind of repertoire. Okay. And then I would also find that I would want to just I don't even know why I, I, I wanted to sew something. Mm -hmm. You know, I think about these small sculptures because what's not in this show are three huge sculptures that I made, okay. two of which preceded these small ones. And I kind of think of these as like children, okay. you know, of the big ones. Yeah. And when I would come home after I teach for three days, I come back to my studio. This is sort of funny to admit, but I'd open the door and they'd just be glad to see me. <laughs> <laughs> they would be like they'd be like children or animals or yeah. something, and I wanted that sense of like uh, joyful exuberance. Uh -huh. But again, what are they? They're yeah. sort of these monsters too. Uh -huh. So I think that the quality that I wanted would have to do with each of them. So some of them, I'd make them like sort of baby colors mm -hmm. and embroidered and stuffed, like mm -hmm. like stuffed animals <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then other ones I would make more I don't know what to say harder surface and more remote and brighter yeah so I, I think so anyway how I make them though are prop building. prop building I mean making molds thermoplastic which is an incredible material it's a thin plastic that has a sandwich of cheesecloth and you heat it with a hot air gun. It doesn't have to get very hot before it slumps. Yeah. Then you can press it in a mold or you can pinch it because it gets sticky. It's very, it's extremely malleable and can be used in a lot of ways. You can paint it. Mm -hmm. So I use that in combination with aqua resin and fiberglass and now this new thing I've discovered called epoxy clay. Hmm. It's, I mean, they, it's fascinating, I guess. I'm, I'm curious because they do have this like textural, like direct relationship to the paintings. Yeah. But then they also, they feel, some of them don't feel like handmade. You know, mm -hmm. it almost has like a, like a, there's a, not really that it was manufactured, but it's just, it's hard to see like, oh, okay, how does that work? Hmm. Um, so that's kind of interesting to hear. Was it, a, the impulse to make the sculpture, was, was there, have you always been a sculptor slash painter or was there uh, a feeling to like remove yourself from the wall and into space whenever I transition from one thing to another in a complete way mm -hmm. like stop making paintings and start making sculpture 
I, I, there's a process in which, for example, when I was making the sculpture, I brought the wall with me. Mm-hmm. And I brought the wall with me by looking at a photograph or looking at drawings. And likewise, when I started to make the paintings, the paintings were really hard to make. It took me three years to figure out how to paint. Mm. I know how to paint, but to capture the energy from the sculptures, not in a way that I'm painting painting of the sculpture, but I'm reinterpreting that. Mm -hmm. So it, it goes back and forth. It always goes back and forth, I would say. And the early work that I did which was, say, in graduate school, they were cut-out paintings. They operated like sculptures, but they still had pictorial decisions made within the shape. And really, what I decided to do is, like, I was painting, but I thought, you know, I'm just going to get rid of everything I'm not interested in. Okay. That's how you become a sculptor. (laughs) (laughs) You get rid of the background, and all of a sudden you're dealing sort of with an object. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That's kind of fascinating. I mean, I guess I, I feel that some sometimes working in the computer has that feeling of yeah. I have this ability to get rid of everything from the photograph. Right. But I've yet to like want to make. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Well, now I'm using Photoshop. Oh, really? In this past year, which I have never done before. Okay. And I. It speeds up the process of collaging and going through oh, yeah. iterations hugely. Yeah, yeah. So all those four paintings were done last year mm-hmm. using Photoshop. It, I guess, um, quick, bef- are the paintings, I had this impression that they weren't made from photographs, but do you reference photographs as you work on these? Or? I, use, um, I use my drawings, right. and my drawings are inventions, but I may look at, a, I might look at a photograph of a topiary that I grew. Or, right. I, yeah, I look at, you know, a photograph of grasses. Mm-hmm. But then I do drawings of it. Right. So the, using Photoshop, how I'm using it is I'm dropping my own drawings and paintings into it. Oh, that's clever. Yeah, okay. and I'm not using photographs. I might use a photograph of a topiary, mm-hmm. but then I transform it before I use it. Yeah. So it's... I don't know. It's like I feel that I can go through so many ideas in mm-hmm. these stages. So each one of these paintings has maybe 50 iterations. Yeah, yeah. So I get it up to a point. Then I paint it because I miss. I would never want to just use a computer because, right. and this sounds like a cliche, and it is. <laughs> but when you hold a piece of charcoal and you put it on a piece of paper, it feels a certain way. Yeah, yeah. And I just yeah, love that's that. True. So. Yeah. Um, so I'm working back and forth. I'm using a lot uh-huh. more of my... It's like what I feel like at this point is that I've developed a language. Mm-hmm. And now the collaging in Photoshop allows me to combine those languages much more Quickly. fluidly. Yeah. And it's unleashed something that has much more of a kind of narrative feel to it. Yeah, It's interesting because you, you point to those... For their, those are the newer ones. Yes. They do feel different. They, they feel yeah. like they have this kind of different kind of energy that's, that's interesting. They do, and they happened in a way... Like, I haven't had a million epiphanies in my long career, but I've had some. <laughs> yeah. And that was, that, they came out of an epiphany. So mm-hmm. I had a serious surgery, which was brain surgery, mm. to remove a non-malignant tumor. And so... 
I was, I was unable to work for about six months, four, five, six months. I made tiny little drawings. I could uh -huh. barely do anything. Then when I got back into the studio, I thought, okay. So I had a therapist who asked me years ago, like, what was my relationship to my work? And I uh -huh. thought about it. Because he'd say, I have my relationship to my work. So he said, like, what if it was like a person? What would the relationship be like? I said, bad boyfriend. That's what it would be like. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Because it's not reliable, and it's very passionate, but highly uh -huh. unreliable. And anyway, so after this surgery, I went back in, and I thought, I don't want that anymore. I want, like, a good, good wife. Yeah, I want a <laughs> good partner. Yeah. And I, it, I realized I was too attached to the struggle. I didn't know that, but I could see oh, it really plainly, like... It's crazy just to use a drawing. When you get to the, it's a charcoal drawing, it's not going to give you anything more mm -hmm. than the first stages of a painting. That's what these paintings are. Right. Then I have to invent something. Then I'm looking at the erasures and trying to invent a language in painting based on the erasure of a, of a charcoal drawing. So when I started making this new body of work, if I got stuck, which always you will get stuck, right. I could drop something else in. I could change it. And when I did that, it introduced other kind of narrative elements. Oh, wow. And things would happen mm -hmm. by mistake. So, for example, in the first one, which is called Wishful Thinking, you know how you layer in Photoshop so you have images. Oh, sure. then, yeah. Okay. So I have an image on the top. I start to erase it. Something pokes through. Mm. It's like all of a sudden the head is poking through. And it gave me this idea like this plant form has an interior life. It's thinking something. Okay. I never would have thought about that otherwise, and that's purely an accident that happened within the medium of digital manipulation, yeah. right? Oh, that's fascinating. And you had a good therapist. <laughs> and I had a pretty good therapist. <laughs> well, I want to be asked that question. Now I'm thinking about that. Oh, it's wonderful to think about. Yeah. I really urge people to think about it because because yeah. you think of it as... You think about being an artist and making art as something you are doing, but you have a relationship to it as well. Yeah. It's speaking back to you. Yeah. So is it sassing you, or is it like <laughs> being an authority figure? Is it disapproving? Yeah. Is it abandoning you? Uh -huh. And I, I really feel like people have strong feelings about that without recognizing it. Yeah, I think that it's important to think about. It's I think so, too. too. Because I feel like I have a bad boyfriend now, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you have to think about the struggle. I know. And the struggle yeah. is important. I remember uh, I remember being asked at, it was like a little panel discussion, at, and a bunch of students were in the audience, and I was asked, um, you know, what's, what's it like in the... Or what's your practice like? And I was like, I hate it. I hate everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I'd rather be doing something else. Yeah. But, it, yeah, it's interesting. That's freeing to to think that well, it's you also, could have this technology that yes. opens up these possibilities that, you know, and then you see all these possibilities. You know? Well, I think that it's, it's so interesting being an artist because mm -hmm. we do have a fixed sensibility. I'm not sure what... If mm -hmm. it's fixed, but it's a distinct sensibility that we all have. Right. But then you are continually having to challenge that, to turn it over, to make sure that mm -hmm. this is what you want. My brother-in-law, who is a psychotherapist, mm -hmm. said that there's this 
I guess it's a Yiddish story that uh -huh. if everyone's trouble in the whole world was gathered to a rabbi and he threw it up in the air, everybody would grab back their own troubles. Mm. And I thought that's where you start to get stuck yeah. because it's attaching. On the other hand, I do think that every artist works with a problem. And you're not trying to solve the problem. You're trying to elucidate the problem and make it clearer and make it bigger. Yeah. So those are interwoven complexities and difficulties mm -hmm. to sort through. That's why to personify your relationship to your work <laughs> has a kind of clarity to it. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Now, yeah, I feel like I'm on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> so what's you're, your problem? <laughs> you're, you're my psychotherapist. That's it's very... Uh, you know, and that uh, everything you're saying goes to, I think, in part your your long career of making things and being a teacher yes, as well. Right, you know, it's very right. insightful. Um, well, thank you. I think we're going to end it there. Well, but, thank you so much for having yeah, me. Yeah, because I'm and allowing I'm lost. me to psychoanalyze <laughs> yeah, you. Thank you. <laughs> As always, thanks for listening. Check out Joanne's show at the Opalka Gallery. It's up until February 29th. And check out Northern Lights at Collarworks Gallery. It's up until March 14th. 